Welcome to Beyond the Tools, the podcast that helps contractors attract more leads, grow their business, and finally get off the tools. In each episode, you'll discover marketing tactics that work. You'll get actionable insights from other successful contractors and connect with experts to help you grow. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, owner of a social media agency that helps contractors attract and convert more leads. Get ready to take your business to the next level so you can finally enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Ready? Let's go. Hey, contractors, welcome back to Beyond the Tools. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs. And today I am very excited to introduce our guest, Stephen Knight. Stephen founded Mosaic Home Services Limited in Edmonton, Alberta, here in Canada in 2016. After completing a Bachelor of Commerce degree at the University of Alberta and working in a variety of fields in commercial construction, Stephen set out to start his own business in the home improvement industry. And his goal was to help entrepreneurs in the home services space build scalable and sustainable businesses. And that is essentially the theme of today's episode. Now, Mosaic Home Services, they acquire or start, scale, and franchise home service businesses. Since their inception, Mosaic has completed 11 transactions, founded four brands, and franchised into three new cities in Western Canada. Their diverse suite of brands are supported by world-class marketing, inside sales, and administrative functions provided by the Mosaic team. Now, Stephen is passionate about growing people and companies, and honestly, it shows in this interview. He spends the majority of his time working with the team at Mosaic to develop new skills, acquire new customers, and make the client experience better. Stephen is a devoted volunteer, a proud new father, and husband to the most supportive wife in the world. Oh, well, isn't that sweet? So in today's episode, what Stephen and I dig into is really how to grow your business. Whether you are interested in the franchise model or not, there is so much that you can learn from a franchisable business. So that's what we get into, how to make your business more systemized, how to make sure that you're attracting the right customers, and even down to the importance of paying yourself a regular paycheck. Stephen has so much to offer in this interview, and I know you're going to learn so much from this. So let's get right to it. Welcome to the show, Stephen. So excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. So I am super curious about Mosaic Home Services, and I love that your goal is to become Canada's largest home improvement franchise network. Like, that's a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a big goal. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about that. How did you guys get started and what kind of businesses are you working with now? Sure. So, uh, Crystal, I founded Mosaic uh, in 2016. Uh, we're based in Edmonton, Alberta, and we founded and started very humbly. Uh, we were actually our, our very first office, if you want to call it that, was in a self-storage unit with no plumbing and barely any heat. And I started Mosaic with a with a bit of a vision. Um, I wanted to help entrepreneurs in the home improvement sector, the home services sector 
who spend their entire lives building their business uh, just to realize that their business is them. And when they go to retire, there's not a whole lot left. Mm-hmm. They don't have a succession plan. If they don't have maybe a, a second generation to take the business over, there's not a whole lot left there for them. And I started with this, this vision of, you know, how can I help solve this problem? How can I help professionals who understand their trade very, very well um, develop scalable and sustainable business models? And we, we found it in 2016 with, um, I made an investment in a, in a screen door and window company, uh, which in Edmonton, Alberta, really only operates six, seven months a year. Um, so it was a little bit short-sighted, but we made it work. Um, it was a business that uh, that did screen windows and screen doors. And slowly but surely, we just began to either um, acquire an equity position or start up uh, more brands. So we started with screens and we grew into holiday decor and, and Christmas decorating, uh, into fencing and painting and uh, maid service, window washing. Now, uh, today, six years later, we've got seven different brands under our corporate umbrella um, that provide a wide array of, of different types of services, predominantly to homeowners. Um, and we've we've developed a team that uh, is highly focused on continuing, continuing to iterate, continuing to acquire, scale, and then franchise these brands. Amazing. And I mean, when you talk about some of the businesses under your umbrella, we're, we're talking about screens and we're talking about holiday decor, like pretty niche stuff. So what would you say a franchisable business looks like? Well, it doesn't need to be niche and it doesn't even need, even need to be specialty. You look at uh, out in the home improvement world, there are many, many franchise systems that uh, you know are low barriers to entry. I think about uh, systems like Molly Made um, or even 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Um, yeah, you need a truck, but other than that, really anybody could do it. You know, we look at the home improvement franchise world as not necessarily a high barrier to entry, um, but when you buy and invest in a franchise, I like to say the analogy that I have is that you cut off the first three years of trying to hustle your business into existence. You, you When you invest in a franchise, you get to avoid all of the mistakes that you have to make to in order to make it you when you invest in a franchise you've got um, a system behind you that generates leads and book sales you've got a system behind you that tells you what to do and what not to do on site and you've got a system that shows you um, how to source product how to cover warranty how to market the business how to uh, take care of the administration of the business basically you're you're jumping ahead those first three years where you just spend all your time and all your energy figuring it out so what do you think that businesses that aren't in a franchise can learn from the franchise model? Um, the biggest thing to the, the franchise model, the thing that, that makes it scalable, no matter what you know size or, or sub-segment of the industry you're in, is that there's a standardized system. You know, I, I like to, to look at the uh, quick service restaurant franchise as a bit of an example. If I walked into a McDonald's here or I walked into one in Phoenix, Arizona or one in Mexico, I'm going to get a very similar level of service, oftentimes the same product. I'm going to have the same user experience. And that's a really important piece, especially if you're in a sub-segment of the home improvement industry where customers come back to you over and over again. So a good example that I, I can off the top of my head is window washing. 
right? If you own Joe's window washing service and you started that from, from your garage and you're, you're working your tail off to grow it, you know, that's an industry that oftentimes is, is heavily seasonal, you know, spring and fall. If a customer hires you in spring and they receive, you know, a five-star service and they hire you again in fall, you know, you've got some, maybe some staff turnover or you've had some changes or some X, Y, and Z, all of a sudden that customer experience becomes completely different. Uh, and now it's a three-star experience. Well, that's the trick to maintaining customer expectation that you don't really need to worry about with a franchise because the way in which things need to be done is outlined. It is written in stone. This is the way it's done. Mm. Um, if you if you don't have that to fall back on, um, it's not to say that you can't create it for yourself in your own little operations manual, um, but a lot of entrepreneurs just don't. You, you get too busy. You're trying to run around, do a million different things, find new customers, take care of the books in the afternoon and the evening. You're trying to do up quotes and manage staff and hire and do all this X, Y, Z. You don't have time to standardize process and you don't have time to enforce standardized process. When you invest with a franchise, you get that as part of your purchase. And uh, it oftentimes helps entrepreneurs really focus on what they enjoy doing, which is helping customers and doing things that they're, they're great at in their trade. You're not running around doing a million different things, trying to put a process manual together. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think, you know, for a lot of our listeners, there's probably quite a bit of interest in the franchise model. And for some, they're probably happy doing it on their own. But I think there's so much to learn from franchises because of how systematic things are. And, and like you said, for a lot of business owners, their business is an extension of them as a person, which makes it really, really tough if you eventually want to retire or sell your business. So Stephen, in your experience, I know you guys have taken a number of home improvement brands from like zero in revenue to 100 million plus. Where do you start if you're trying to figure out a growth strategy for a company? I guess first, um, hundred million plus one day. <laughs> we've we've uh, we're we're focusing very hard uh, in our model to um, scale brands quickly, and we do that through a variety of channels. But the most the most important the most important piece to start with when you start to scale your your business, whether it's home improvement or not, is to focus on who your actual customer is. And if uh, if your response to that question is, well, it's homeowners. I challenge you to say, no, not all homeowners are cut equal. Not all commercial property managers are cut equal. Not all, not all customers are cut equal. And it's important to really understand, given the um, service offering that I have or the product that I sell, who do I actually really, really, really want to sell it to? Who's my best customer today? And who do I want to do more of this service or deliver more of this product to? If you can't start with that step, you're never going to scale in a profitable way, at least. Um, I see it happen all the time where where entrepreneurs say, look, I want to grow and I want to scale. And COVID did you know a lot to help this because everybody was at home and they were doing renovations and things were happening. And a lot of people learn the hard way that the person who uh, you know hires a plumber to come fix a problem at their million dollar home is hiring a plumber for a lot of you know, very different reasons than the single mom who hired a plumber to unclog a drain. There are two different ways in which that customer wants to interact with your business. There's two different willingness to pay in terms of price point, 
Um, there's differences in terms of how that customer wants to be treated, if they want service now, if they want service later, if they want to be treated like the queen of the world, or if they just want the problem solved. There's a million different little intricacies that going to servicing each type of client. And when we look to scale any of the brands under our umbrella, we really have to dig deep and ask ourselves, what is the perfect picture of the perfect customer for this brand? And oftentimes it's not just one, it's you know avatar A, avatar B, avatar C. Um, once you narrow that down, then you can start to fill in the hard parts of how do I go find more of those people? Um, how do I make my service better than anybody else for that person? Once you start to walk down that path, scaling your business becomes a lot easier because you know what to expect from your client. Um, if you don't, uh, Vern Hardish said it the best. He said, your customers will, will make you broke. Your, your customers will run you broke. Um, it's because you're going to have a plumbing company where you're trying to service Sally and Joe and Tammy, and they've all got different expectations, different willingness to pay, and all of these different, you know, wide breadth of, of things that they expect. And you're going to try and service them all and you just can't. Um, you got to narrow in on who your customer is, who you want to service, and then start to put plans in place to scale. Mm, that makes sense. And I know that looking at, okay, how do I get more customers is a smart place to start. But I often hear a lot of business owners that look at, okay, I'm going to add a new line of service. Like maybe I'm a plumbing company, now I'm going to do HVAC, or I'm an HVAC company, now I'm going to do electrical. Does that ever make sense? And if so, like, when should you look at doing that? Or should you really just be sticking to one thing? Well, so it's a matter of personal opinion. There are many companies that have grown by adding new product lines to their existing brand, and they do quite well. So I, who am I to say yes or no? In my personal opinion, we focus very heavily on segmenting our, our service offerings into individual brands and devoting resources into those brands. So when I say brand, I mean actual business, incorporated company, ready to go offering this widget to this person. The example that I like to use is window washers in Canada uh, often can't wash windows 12 months a year. So what am I going to do from, depending on your, your postal code, you know, October through March, what am I going to do? And a lot of them say, well, we're going to hang Christmas lights because we've got the ladders, we've got the trucks, you know, we're doing it anyway. That's what we're going to do. That can work for some people. Uh, and, and oftentimes that's an opportunity to uh, make your customers more sticky, right? So I'm already there washing your windows. I'm going to get you to hire me for another service where I'm doing kind of the same thing. I'm climbing the ladder and I'm installing some lights and I'm going to come back again in the fall. I'm going to take them down. I'm probably going to wash your windows at the same time. I'm going to get some efficiencies. For us, that didn't make sense. Um, and it didn't make sense because if we wanted to actually be professionals in both of those things, they had to be separate. We can't say, you know what, hey, uh, we're going to be the best window washers in our market and we're also going to be the best Christmas light people in our market because those two things are drastically different skill sets. And if you don't, for us at least, if you didn't break up those two things, you always found yourself in this battle of, okay, it's the fringe season. It's warm enough to wash windows, but we got a lot of Christmas light work. What are we going to devote our resources to today? Because there's only so many trucks and there's only so many people. And now I'm going to play this tug of war with, between my customers. And for us, we just didn't feel like doing that. Um, we didn't feel like that was a fair representation of how to treat our customers or how to run our business. 
So we we look at it, we 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 survey our customers a lot, we ask what they want, what kinds of services they're looking for, and then we develop brands that that fit those needs for the market. We don't try and just say, you know what, I'm a plumber, I'm gonna do HVAC tomorrow because I think it's gonna work. Um, no, we we do our homework and we say, what is what is the market's willingness to pay for that service? What are the holes that we're gonna fill? And then we go fill it. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, talking about that customer research piece and figuring out who you're trying to serve, or should you ever be turning down customers? Like, what do you say no to once you've got that information? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are, you are not for everyone. You can't be in your business. You cannot be for everyone. This is something that uh, my sales team and uh, our marketing team, they often challenge me on because we could go do more. The the answer is, I want to go sell more. I want to go do more. I want more, 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 more. And I am constantly pumping the brakes to say, are we um, going to do this thing better than anybody in our industry? Are we going to fill a need that isn't currently filled? Or are we just chasing dollars? Um, it goes back to that old adage of your customers will bankrupt you with their wants. Um, oftentimes, people who are entrepreneurs or, or sales team members, they're programmed to say yes. You're programmed for a customer to come with a problem and for you to solve that problem. The reality is if you're not um, careful, you will quickly find yourself like that plumbing company. All of a sudden, now I'm a service plumber, a new construction plumber, an HVAC maintenance person, and I'm doing some commercial work on the side. You are trying to run so many lines of business that it becomes muddy where your actual profit comes from. All of those different lines of business have different cash flow cycles, require different skill sets, oftentimes different, you know, different tickets and training, um, different equipment on vans. There's a whole bunch of variety there, which you can fill, but you've got to make that conscious choice to do it well. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself doing all of these different things. So to answer your question, yes, we say no to customers all the time. Instead of just saying no click. You say, <laughs> no, here's a great industry partner. Here's somebody that I met in a networking event or a BNI group or whatever it is. They're going to take great care of you. They're great at this thing. Mm. That's going to build enough loyalty from your customer that, you know, what, whether that person provides a good service or not, they're going to come back to you because you tried to solve the problem. And I know a lot of people get, you know, worried. I don't want to give a referral for someone I don't know. I get it, but you are solving that problem for that customer in that moment. Tell them, look, here's Joe's service. I've never used him before, but I think he might work for you. Good luck. Uh, that customer is going to come back to you again. You don't need to worry about sending the work away. People who respond to that comment to say, well, I don't want to turn a customer down. I want to say no. My question to you would be, how much revenue or profit could you go generate with the time that you're going to spend trying to figure out this new thing for that customer? Mm. If you just said no, you dealt with it in 15 minutes and you spent the next three hours that you were going to deal with this problem, going to find a customer that you actually can service, how much better off would you be? Would you sleep better at night? Would you be in a happier place? You're not trying to figure out this whole new industry. I guarantee the answer is yes. Don't be afraid to say no. Go find another customer because that's that's what you're good at. Yeah. I think that's so important. I love that. And I know that you've worked with all sorts of different business owners and helping them in this process of figuring out how to scale their business. So what are some of the other big mistakes that you see business owner make when it comes to their growth? Uh, I see it very frequently in the the home improvement sector where um, management of cash flow becomes a problem. 
a lot of people in the home improvement industry jump into this industry because they have some unique expertise. They're a great cabinet maker. They're a great um, painter, whatever it might be. And oftentimes you sit down with your accountant and your accountant says, look, you made a hundred grand this year. And the first question you ask yourself was great. Where is it? Uh, Because it's not the bank. Uh, Where to go? Oftentimes management of the cash flow cycle is the downfall of of the home improvement business. These businesses don't go bankrupt. They simply run out of money. And it's because you you are putting cash out more quickly than you're receiving it back from your customers. Mm. So some of the frequent you know things that I see and ways to get around that would be simple things like charge deposits to your customers. You know, get a little bit upfront to cover your material costs. Go to your suppliers, get credit accounts set up, talk to your bank, get a line of credit. But most importantly, like the critical thing, do not sit back and wait to pay yourself when there's money. Mm. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into your business. You deserve a paycheck. Cut it every two weeks along with everybody else and pay yourself first. I know a lot of people kind of cringe at that. And I don't know if we're going to be able to support the money and I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to be honest with you. Your your business doesn't care if you have groceries on the table. It just doesn't. Um, but your kids and your wife or your husband do. So pay yourself a regular wage. And I guarantee you the problems will solve themselves because you are, as an entrepreneur, a program to solve the problem. That's your whole job. That's all you do is solve problems. It sounds like you're kind of creating one for yourself here, but I guarantee you it's the best problem you could possibly create. Pay yourself every two weeks. Do your company a good service by making sure that you've got a paycheck coming in and you will figure out how to manage cash flow because uh, you always do. You always figure it out, but you got to make sure that you pay yourself. Otherwise, you're doing your, your company a disservice. Outside of that, manage your cash flow. Sit down once a week and do a simple cash in and out report. How much money do I have in the bank? How much money's coming in? How much money's going out? What does the next seven days look like? Next 14 days look like? Next 30 days look like? Help me understand what the inflow and outflow of cash is and really understand, hey, this customer owes me four or $5,000, it's 60 days overdue. Wait, go collect your money. Yeah, those are such important points. And I think so practical too. But I know I hear it from clients all all the time, especially in commercial work. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for 60,000, 100,000, several hundred thousand dollars. And that's, you know, that makes a big impact if, if you're just sitting around waiting to get that money. So. Yeah, it definitely does. Awesome. And I know, Stephen, that you mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of business owners start because they're good at a particular skill and then they start to build a business around that. What are some of the ways that you see entrepreneurs getting in their own way when it comes to their growth? Oftentimes, uh, if you're the expert, you can become the bottleneck in your business, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So I want to be clear about that. You need to, uh, you know, when you start your business or once a year, once a quarter, um, establish a rhythm where you really sit down and ask yourself, what do I want to do with this business? Kind of similar to what your employees would do to say, what do I want to do in my career? What do you want to do with your business? Do you want to grow? Do you want to stay the same size? Do you want to shrink? Start to ask yourselves you know, this question. And a lot of people start by simply asking, how much do I want to make next year? Personally, what is my personal income that I want next year? And start to reverse engineer the math from there. Look, if I want to make $100,000 this year, how much work do I need to do? Um, do I need to hire more staff? You can start to reverse engineer that that question from, from, you know, a simple answer to how much I want to make. But 
really, if the answer is I want to grow, which oftentimes it is, you need to ask yourself, where is my time going? Sit down for um, two weeks, take five minutes a day, sit down and journal I, every minute of every day. Um, this is an exercise that I do at least once a year to say, where did my time go today? Um, and then ask yourself the question, look, how much of my time am I spending on things that somebody else could do a little bit cheaper or even better than I can? You know, I myself, I'm terrible at data entry. My brain is all over the place. But when I was growing my business, I found myself like three hours a day entering data. Well, you know, it wasn't until I kind of woke up and smacked myself to say, well, you know what, I probably should have somebody else do this who's probably better at it because I'm not that great at it. Um, the only reason I'm doing it now is because I haven't put any time to finding someone else to do it. And I know that a lot of entrepreneurs will sit back and say, well, how do I afford that person? The answer is, what else are you going to do with that three hours of time? Because that's when you go generate the income to pay for that person. Um, that's when you go find efficiencies in your job sites to make them more profitable. That's when you go find a new customer that can give you a purchase order. That's when you go investigate a new product line that could blow the doors off. Um, you really need to understand the highest and best use of your time if you're going to scale your business. If you want to grow, you you need to use every minute of your day as effectively as, as you can and don't waste time doing things that, that somebody else could do. And more importantly to that, when you scale your business, put a value on your time outside of work hours. You know, after 5 p.m., or sorry, before 5 p.m., my hourly rate, my hourly effective rate, if I'm not doing something that's going to generate three to $400 in income for my business, then I'm underutilizing my time. If it's after 5 p.m., that number jumps to like 4,000. Because if it, if I'm working after five, it needs to be so worthwhile that I'm giving up time with my kids. And, and that's critical. If, you're, if you want to grow and you don't want to be a slave to your business, understand the value of your time. Yeah. And I think, you know, on the hiring front too, a lot of people don't think about the mental bandwidth that that frees up even not having to do those things and have a little less stress and time to think in your day. Like there's, it's hard to assign a dollar value to those things too, but they make a big difference. That they do. So on the hiring front, of course, a across the trades in Canada, the US, beyond, all we hear about is the labor shortage. So how do you scale without labor? <sighs> how do you scale without labor? Well, it's, um, again, it just goes back to customer, um, for us, at least. In, in our lines of business, when we, when we identify that we want to scale, it's about identifying what style of service we want to offer and allocating labor resources depending on how we want to grow. So, you know, simple example. So we look at window washing as a market. There are a million different little things that go into window washing and every company is going to offer a slightly different service. So um, some window washers are windows and gutters. Some are windows, gutters, and interior windows. Some are windows, gutters, interior windows. You know, we're going to repair the gutter. We're going to pressure wash. And you start to get all of these different kinds of skill sets and all these different little pieces. And, you really need for us, we had to understand what does the labor market look like if we offer all five of these things, four, three, two, one, how specialized of a skill set do we actually need in this role? We see it often in the home improvement industry as well, where it's an expectation of the role when you hire a technician to perform a service. 
um, oftentimes they're door knocking on the neighbors to say, hey, can we, you know, we're here already. Can can we do this for you? That's a whole different skill set. If you want to scale, you you got to look at the skill sets that you actually need for the job, make them as narrow as possible and hire for that. The more things you look for out of a person, the harder time you're going to have to sell. If uh, I can relate it to back to salespeople as well. If you expect your salespeople to meet with the customer and give them the warm, fuzzy feeling, estimate the job, so measure technical specs, supplier relationships, all the technical elements that go into estimating a job, go hunt new customers. So go to networking events, attend to BNI, go find new, new customers all the time, uh, and project manage where they're, they're on board managing the thing, work that they sell. That's four big things that that person now needs to be good at. You got to ask yourself, am I better off having two people do two things really well or one person do four things really well? And that comes down to your local labor market. If you can find one person to do all those things, great. If you need to start segmenting, then, then do that. Um, but don't, don't expect uh, the world uh, if, if the market doesn't, if the labor market doesn't have that, don't, don't throw responsibility and accountability on folks that, you know, maybe they're really only good at those two things. Find somebody else who can compliment them. Don't expect them to be great at everything. Cause they just can't, it's just unrealistic. Mm. That's a really interesting way to think about it that I've never heard before and never really thought about. So that's awesome. <laughs> it happens, you know. And we, frankly, we, we in your world, we make that mistake in marketing all the time. We've we've learned that the hard way. You know, our local marketing team here. You know, we thought, oh yeah, go out and find a marketing coordinator. That's great. No, that's a huge wide. Like, if you want them to be good at social media, content creation, SEO, paid search advertising, um, traditional media buying. Like, there's a million different things going on in the world of marketing. You got to pick and choose. It's kind of, I, I relate it back to football. You can't have a quarterback who's also a wide receiver who's also a left tackle. You can't do all of those things. You got to figure out who are the players in the bus that I actually need. Make some compromises because you're never going to get exactly what you want, but you got to put the pieces of your team together in a way that works for your local labor market. That's an incredible analogy. <laughs> so, I know for some businesses, like you are starting them from scratch, but also you guys acquire. So what is it that you, I know you talked a little bit about it, but what is it that you look for in in a franchisee or someone to partner with? Um, when we're looking to acquire a business, um, frankly, in the home improvement sector, it all comes down to customer acquisition and customer stickiness. So what I mean is, how easy is it for this business to find new customers? And how sticky are the customers they currently have? Do they come back and buy once a year, once every three years, once a quarter? What, what does that look like? For us, because we've amalgamated this suite of services, it really comes down to can this next service that we aim to bring on or partner with, can it complement what we have under our, our umbrella? So, you know, I've mentioned window washing and Christmas lights. They work perfectly together. You know, we've got screen windows and doors and painting because oftentimes we we walk in and window frames are all busted up uh we've got um you know different services that will have that largely the same style of customer that uh we can begin to cross sell to in terms of ideal attributes that we look for out of a sellable or a buyable home improvement business we look for customer stickiness customer acquisition and then we start to ask the really tough questions about how integral is the owner-operator or founder of this business. 
have they, like I started this, this talk with, have they made themselves so integral to the business that if they walked out the door tomorrow, would the thing close? And if the answer is yes, then there's not really much of a business to buy. Um, they might have some trucks and some tools that are worth a little bit of money. But if that owner operator has to be there every day in order for that business to make profit, it's not really worth anything. So we challenge the people who come to us to say, look, we want to partner with you or we want to, we want to be bought out. Um, we, we challenge them to answer the simple question. If you weren't here tomorrow, would the company generate a profit? Uh, and if, a lot of times the answer is no. The sad fact is that's just not a viable, a viable uh, business. Um, if that answer is yes, then we say, does it make more money if you're there or not there? And if the answer is, look, it makes, it makes the same amount either way, um, that's a great viable business. Uh, if it's, you know, hey, my, the owners relied on for 75% of the sales, ugh, okay, that's a little, that becomes a little bit more challenging. So it comes down to, to those kind of core key things needs to be sticky customers with a, a good uh, cross sell between the brands that we have and, uh, and not re- solely reliant on the owner to operate. Amazing. That makes sense. Well, Stephen, I feel like you've given such incredible insights here in terms of building a business that's scalable, that can someday be acquired or, or essentially having something that you can retire from or move on from, which I think is so important for all of our listeners. I'm sure they're going to want to learn more about you and what you're up to with Mosaic Home Services. So what's the best way that they can connect with you? Uh, you can connect with me. Uh, the best way is on LinkedIn, actually. Uh, I highly encourage uh, anybody in the home improvement industry to start using that platform more. Um, and, and keep an eye on our, our website at getmosaic.ca. Uh, that, that there's where you, that's where you learn a little bit more about the new brands that are coming on, um, the franchise territories that we're selling and, and, uh, you know, uh, connect with me a little bit more to, to learn just about what we're doing and where we're going. Amazing. Thank you so much, Stephen. This has been awesome. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, just wanted to say thank you again for listening to Beyond the Tools. I love hearing from our listeners and knowing what topics, what guests, what's resonating with you from these episodes. So if you want to share your feedback, please do so. You can DM me at Reflective Marketing on Instagram, Facebook. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, wherever you want to. So at Reflective Marketing. And if you are enjoying the show, please go ahead and leave us a review. It really, really helps us out to spread the word to other contractors about our podcast. So thank you so much again.